Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast. A podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know-nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. Winter is in full swing, and since we won't be escaping to a tropical paradise anytime soon, we thought a round of cocktails and dreams might help warm our spirits. Today, we're dishing on 1988's blockbuster film, Cocktail, starring Tom Cruise, Elizabeth Shue, Brian Brown, and Kelly Lynch. So, Kate, what are you drinking? Well, I'm drinking a lot of water. Because true to my Gen X generation, I'm not feeling great. I don't feel oh, so great. Like not to be a downer or anything, but we can talk about COVID for a hot second. It's not like no one else is talking about it. So Okay, we can acknowledge the reality. Yeah, it's true. It's anytime I feel anything, I'm like, what, what, what is it? I have to grab my thermometer. Yeah, I don't have a fever. 99.1. I'm good. That's good. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what's up. I don't I lead a pretty solitary and low risk lifestyle. <laughs> so I think that it's probably just I don't it could just be a really bad hot flash. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That's you questioning everything. It, it, it could be so many things. There's so many possibilities. Every muscle ache, every twinge, anytime I feel sort of like a hot flash coming on or I wake up with a little bit of a scratchy throat. You know, I have a lot of medical anxiety anyway, like long before COVID-19, like maybe probably starting in like 1984, I developed (laughs) some sort of weird medical anxiety. And for the most part, I'm kind of proud of how I've handled myself throughout this whole pandemic process. Quite well. Yeah. Cause you're usually my go-to as a nurse. Yeah. You're usually my go-to for the panicked texts regarding my health. You're always very reassuring. So the fact that you don't feel well, I would like to be the reassuring voice. I know that you will watch your symptoms carefully because that's who you are, but you've been really, really diligent. You haven't like fallen into the trap of precaution fatigue. So I'm hopeful that with a good night's sleep, you're going to wake up feeling much, much better. Right. I also have this very firm belief that like any symptom that I have ever is just like, I'm just dehydrated. I just need to drink more water. <laughs> it is your answer to everything. Really is. I'm like, I'll be fine. I'm having heart palpitations. I'm probably just dehydrated. Like, <laughs> I have a headache. I'm just dehydrated. I feel a little nauseous. I probably just need some water. <laughs> okay. But throw up the medical disclaimer here that you are not offering medical advice. Water is not the answer to everything. It no. might be the answer to many things, but it's not the I'm answer to everything. I'm just saying for myself personally. It's <laughs> not for others. Don't follow my advice. Actually, I don't feel that great either. And I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do because I'm a true professional. I'm going to pop two ibuprofen. I'm going to grab some water, which I did. And I'm also going to grab a glass of wine because we're doing cocktail. I felt like we had to. Now, I don't know that ibuprofen and wine necessarily go together. And if I'm not feeling well, I don't know that this is the best course of action, but um, I'm sipping it anyway. So I'm going to say that I I represented on the cocktail front in my younger years quite well. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I think I'm entitled to an evening of very hydrating water. It's the responsible choice. You know, I didn't want to like not be able to handle my booze and then be like, sorry, Lori, we got to stop the podcast because I'm going to go take a nap. Honestly, I'm surprised that I didn't take a nap while watching Cocktail because (laughs) 
So this movie, for some really weird reason, was a movie that you and I watched many, many times. Many times. Did you own it? I have no idea. You had a very good movie selection. I did, but we were like, I don't know, 12 when this came out. And it's been a hundred years since I've seen this movie and I almost still knew all the dialogue. And back then, we thought this movie was really, really good. Oh, yeah. Like, in my mind, I was like, this is going to be so fun. It's going to be a fun We're revisit. We're going to watch, like, a tropical vacation movie, which is actually, in reality, only a small part of the movie. It is. I mean, look, we're not going to be traveling anytime right. soon. We can all use a little, like, vacation, if only in our mind or in our entertainment. Right. Some of us don't live in sunny Southern California. Yeah. So okay. we, we, we need to escape, you know. I do live in sunny Southern California and still uh. very underwhelming, kind of, kind of a bummer. I was sort of like looking forward to it. I know. And then I was like, why did I like this movie? What was it? But I, I will tell you as we talk through it, there are parts that I liked and I have a lot to say about some of those parts. Assuming everyone hasn't shut off this podcast at this point. (laughs) They're like, great, we're going to hear about a really bad movie. (laughs) Yeah, we just told you this movie was super shitty. Let's talk about it, Katie. Let's dissect how it's bad. That's the fun part. (laughs) I think that's what we need to do. Like, maybe this is just going to be like talking trash on cocktail. Yeah. Okay, let's just start. This was released on July 28th, 1988, and the film did really well. It was made for 20 million and it grossed over $171 million worldwide. And we have to ask ourselves, why? (laughs) So it wasn't just us. We weren't the only ones who were fooled. Oh, we were so full. We were so young and naive. It was, it was a simpler time. 1988 was a killer year for Tom Cruise. He also starred in Rain Man, same year. Oh. Yeah. How interesting to be in such an, a not critically acclaimed <laughs> film and then a very critically acclaimed film. That's interesting, right? And this movie was almost universally panned by critics. They're so smart. That's why they're critics. <laughs> of course, we were the ones that are like, what are you talking about? Critics don't know anything. This movie's amazing. Uh, it was not. This movie actually also won two Razzies. Understandable. So, <laughs> now I get it. It all makes sense. Yeah. I have to say, in our defense, we were 12-year-old girls. The movie had Tom Cruise at kind of the height of his, like, oh, yeah. I'm a cute. Also, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, because Tom Cruise is obviously older than us, correct? Right? And then when I watched this, I was like, oh, now I feel really old because Tom Cruise just looks like a baby. (laughs) He does. The film is based on Haywood Gould's semi-autobiographical novel of the same name published in 1984. Gould wrote the screenplay. It's based on somebody's life? It is, but... This is what he says. I was not happy with the final product. I got so savaged by the critics. I was accused of betraying my own work, which is stupid. So I was pretty devastated. I literally couldn't get out of bed for a day. The good thing about the experience is that it toughened me up. I didn't know it was about somebody's life. Now I feel bad. (laughs) Well... feel bad that he had to live this life or you feel bad about how it was depicted on film? Well, so here's the thing. And here's the thing that people probably don't realize is that he wrote the screenplay, but screenplays have multiple people who contribute to them. So you don't always have like the ultimate control over how something comes out. And then like 
the film gets edited. So absolutely. I mean, Kelly Lynch, who played Carrie, uh, the wife of Doug. She told AV Club that Gould's vision for the film was ultimately changed because of, well, she said Disney, but the film is produced or whatever by Touchstone Pictures, which is owned by Disney. So was it supposed to be darker? Yeah, she said Cocktail was actually a really complicated story about the 80s and power and money. And it was really re-edited where they completely lost my character's backstory, which is true. We don't... Yeah, we know nothing about her except that she has like rich parents. She's rich, yeah. She's saying her low self-esteem, who her father was, why she was this person that she was. But it was obviously a really successful movie, if not as good as it could have been. And it was a much darker movie, but Disney took it, reshot about a third of it, and it turned into to flipping the bottles and this and that. And the hippie hippie shake. And the hippie hippie (laughs) shake. So, I mean, she said, you know, it's just, it's not what it was originally intended to be. And sometimes that works because I feel like I've read the same thing about Pretty Woman, that Pretty Woman was a really, like a fairly dark kind of gritty movie initially. Mm-hmm. And then they sort of Disneyed it up. I mean, I don't, is that also Touchstone? That would be interesting to know. Mm. But in that case, it's sort of, I mean, I don't know. Now I'm afraid to go back and watch Pretty Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I have to believe in my heart it still holds up. I have to. I don't know. Now I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> well, considered for the role of Brian, which is Tom Cruise's character, the list goes on and on. I I saw Keanu Reeves, John Travolta. Can you imagine? I don't see No, I I can't imagine either of them. Yeah. Rob Lowe, which I can kind of see. Oh, yeah. That I could see. Tom Hanks. No. Oh. He's not a pretty boy. (laughs) No. Steve Gutenberg. No. Uh, Yeah, not enough to care. Like, this is is the thing. That film needed Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. Tom, Tom Cruise was a perfect choice. Even though I didn't love the movie, I even wrote a note here. Like, Tom Cruise always plays the pretty boy who's good at shit. This is his thing. Days of Thunder, Top Gun, Color of Money, this movie, Jerry Maguire, which Jerry Maguire, a little bit different because he was a very flawed character, but ultimately right. he was the mover and shaker, right? right. Until like he, he has this crisis. Happen. Right. This, what is that called? Crisis of conscience? I can't say that word. Con, con, can't say I, it. I struggle with this word. Oh my well. gosh. It's, I really, really struggle with Conscious. This Conscious. Okay. Conscience. 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 Okay. Because you're conscious. Yes. If you're talking and yes. alert and oriented, but you're, you have a conscience. Okay. Yeah. And all the right moves. He's always that good looking guy. That's good at the thing. Right. And he does that. And he does this a lot in this movie. He does that smile. Like, do you know that smile oh, I'm yeah. talking about? Like that, like that Tom Cruise. Yeah. Smile. Like, yeah. It's his, it's his thing. So I, I do feel like without a star of like the caliber that Tom Cruise right. was and the sort of charisma that he has. Nah, he's I feel like he's kind of complicated now, but back then none of that was an issue. Right. right? That wasn't like, exactly. And so, I mean I also have written here Bill Murray, which I don't see it, and Jeff Bridges, which maybe Jeff Bridges back I, in the day. Yeah. For the role of Jordan played by Elizabeth Shue, who I thought she was great in this role, by the way. I really love her. And not just because of Karate Kid and Adventures in Babysitting. I know. That's the other thing. I'm like, how could we not love this movie? Because it had Tom Cruise in it and Elizabeth Shue, who was just kind of like 
the every woman of she's like your all American girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also feel like sometimes in a world of people who looked maybe more like the Kelly Lynch. Uh Uh-huh. Like that supermodel stick thin. Right. Like she just feels very accessible and real, which I think I appreciated as a young person. I still appreciate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up for the role of Jordan though, was Jennifer Gray, which I can see it. Yeah. Demi Moore, Ali Sheedy, Jodie Foster, which I don't see, Daryl really? Hannah, yeah, <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker, and Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, Jodie Foster. That would have been interesting, right? I just feel like she's a little intense for that kind of a mm-hmm. role. And, you know, there's not a whole lot really to work with with Jordan's character. No. I think they think there is. I think they think they've developed her into this you know, well-rounded sort of character, but mm, I don't know. We'll get into it. But Tom Cruise said, cocktail is not my crowning jewel. I don't know what Tom Cruise thinks his crowning jewel is. He has an amazing body of work. Personally, Jerry Maguire is it for me. I mean, he was great in Tom Cruise. uh, In Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Some goddamn Tom Cruise movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great in top gun oh my god you know what you guys oh, we watched in- that a lot too we you did we watched that, that a one. lot yeah let's get into the glory and wonder that is cocktail we open on a greyhound bus driving and there's like an unmarked ford with sort of portable sirens going off in it right you know what i mean yeah right. you know what i'm trying to say and it's filled with like military dudes trying to get the bus to pull over and we see a young brian flanagan who's tom cruise like hanging out of the sunroof and the bus pulls over and he hops on and his friends all tell him bye. And they're like, make a million. So the bus is headed for New York and we see him reading a book. It's called how to turn your idea into a million dollars. Okay. And everybody has a friend who has that book, right? Like I don't have that book. I don't have that book either, but there are people. And I believe like young Brian Flanagan who are just born with entrepreneurial spirit. It's just in them. And I don't even think it's something that's learned. I just feel like you're just that person that's full of ideas and has the energy to try and make them happen. Right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, like I'm super woo woo and like, that's just, that's just how I am. I didn't learn it. And I'm not super entrepreneurial. Like I can barely say the word. (laughs) The force is strong with Brian Flanagan. He's out to make his million. He's ready. He's ready. And so the bus is taking him into like downtown New York. We're supposed to like him, Katie, because he makes friends with a baby on a bus. Like, that scene oh, was so does. stupid. Yeah, and they're like, like this guy. He's a good right. one. Look, he's like a politician. He makes friends with babies. So he's making friends everywhere he goes. He takes the subway to Pat's Place, which is an Irish tavern owned by his Uncle Pat. Yes. And true story, I have an Uncle Pat. I did not meet him, but I do have an Uncle Pat. Yes. And he's like, <laughs> I'm just going to say <laughs> I have an Uncle Pat Flanagan. <laughs> I was going to say it, but I, I didn't want you to tell me, like, why'd you say that on the pod? So I didn't. So he did not have a bar, nor did he live in New York. Okay. So they are not the same person. <laughs> no, definitely not. 
Okay, so we learned from some conversation that like Brian Flanagan was broke as a kid. Their furniture got repossessed and stuff. And maybe this is why he's like, I'm going to make my millions. Like I'm I'm not going to depend on the man. I'm going to do this thing for myself. And he left the military. I guess he's done with his, like, what's it called? Service. What's it called? Well, his stint. <laughs> I don't know that he was deployed, so I'm not going to say that. Right, it wasn't like, like a tour of duty. Yeah, like, like he's done with his time in the military. Yeah. He's now out for civilian life. So his uncle asks him, what are you going to do next? Like now that you're not, you know, in the military. And he's like, I'm going to make a million dollars and I'm not going to fall into the marriage family trap. But his uncle does give him some very sage business advice. He tells him, never give away anything for free. Never buy around on the house. Exactly. You got to outwork, outthink, outscheme, and outmaneuver everyone else. Trust no one. Don't make friends. And this is our foreshadowing moment. Don't make friends. Trust mm-hmm. no one. I feel like that whole speech combines like parts of like Hamilton and the X Files. Like... <laughs> so prolific. Right? <laughs> yeah. So we then cut to him on the mean streets in New York, and he's got a suit on and a briefcase, and he's looking for a job. And there are just interviews, like, everywhere. And they all want education. He's looking to get a job on Wall Street, advertising. Lots of rejection. Yes. And defeated, he's walking home to his apartment, and he looks into a TGI Fridays, and he sees a now hiring Wait, son. but so this is my question. I don't think it was a TGI Fridays. It looks just like a TGI Fridays. Oh, you don't think it was? No, I think it's just some, All like, right. New York bar. But, like, I was like, it looks just like a TGI. But the waitresses, I don't think were dressed the way the waitresses. Okay, they weren't wearing flair, as in, like, office space the movie the way tgi fridays used to wear the flare on the suspenders and stuff like that like the pins Mm -hmm. and all of that but they did have the striped shirts right with the black suspenders it had the red and white awning which made me think it was a tgi fridays and also i'll tell you this john brandy who was a los angeles tgi fridays bartender he was the guy that was hired to train tom cruise and brian brown After he served a woman who worked for Disney or slash Touchstone, who was on the lookout for a bartender for the film, she spotted him at a TGI Fridays and he was brought on to train these guys. So I don't know. So I'm so curious about this because every bartender I ever saw at a TGI Fridays was like not that exciting. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. And apparently this like kind of showy bartending, it has a name. It is called Flair bartending. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of fun, right? Like I've never seen something. Oh, super fun. And I imagine it took a lot of practice. Oh, I would think so. But you know, Roger Ebert, the famous film critic, he says early in the film, there's a scene where the two bartenders stage an elaborately choreographed act behind the bar. They juggle bottles in unison. One spins ice cubes into the air and the other one catches them. And then they flip bottles at each other like a couple of circus jugglers. All of this is done to rock and roll music, which I will say specifically, it's Addicted to Love by Robert Right. <laughs> and it takes them about four minutes to make two drinks. They get a roaring ovation from the customers in their crowded bar, which is the tip off to the movie's glossy phoniness. This isn't bartending. It's a music video. And real drinkers wouldn't applaud. They'd shout shut up and pour you know so I have to say like that's what I thought when when they're in the other club the 
fancy one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so crowded. And they're like the only two bartenders and they're it's taking like a forever. It's story club. And I'm like, how do all those people have drinks? Where are they I getting them that. from? <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought that too. So yeah, realism is not its strong point. No. So we jumped ahead a little bit, but just to catch you up real quick. Doug is the older gentleman behind the bar, the bartender, who's also, I guess, the hiring manager. So he gives him a shot and he has him behind the bar immediately, like on like a freaking Friday night or something. It's really busy. And Brian's a hot mess. First of all, have you ever been to a TGI Fridays this busy? Now, we don't know what's the TGI Fridays or That's not. That's why I assumed it was not a TGI Fridays. <laughs> It was so busy. <laughs> the waitresses are getting super irritated. He calls one of them a bitch. Everyone's shouting drinks at him and he doesn't know how to make anything. Like, I don't know why he said, oh yeah, I've tended bar. Like what? You've poured some beer out of a tap. Right. That's not bartending. That's not I bartending. mean, good bartenders are amazing. Sure. Like, I have great respect for good bartenders. Most definitely. It's a hard job. You are on your feet. And like people are mad because you're not making your drink as strong as they want. And then they Mm -hmm. don't tip you. And then. And I don't understand after this nightmare of a shift, why in a million years Doug would offer him a job. He explains it. What does he say? I guess I missed it. He explains. Like he sees something in him. No, 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 no. He explains that like Brian is young and good looking and the women are like flocking there to see him and that the men will follow the women. And so it's an investment. So it's, it has nothing to do with his stellar bartending abilities. It has to do with his pretty face. Okay. So he then registers for college where they are teaching some like hard, high level business shit that he just does not understand. I'm like, this is not a business 101 class. It's complicated. It's like, economics and yeah fiscal something i did not take those i i did have to take an economics class oh, as God, part of my g so doug let's talk about this character i think brian brown did really well with the character but the character was annoying he's the guy that's got the answer for everything Coglin's Law. Yes, Coglin's Law. And in regard to bartending, he says, dazzle them with ice work, baffle them with bottle work. And suddenly, I don't know how much time passes, but Brian Flanagan is now a whiz at this. And the next scene, that's when they're doing, you know, Robert Palmer's addicted to love routine, where all the women want to sleep with him and they're putting on an amazing show. And oh my God, they're offered this job at the hottest club in town. Cell block. Right. Local bartenders do good. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So Brian is working a shift at night. He's doing homework all night long. And then he has to go to school in the morning. And he has like the worst college professor ever. That guy is condescending. He clearly hates his job. Right. He's mean to like the lady who went back to school after her kids were all gone. I know. She wanted to start a cookie business. (laughs) Right. How could you be mean to her? I know. And Brian kind of gets into it with the teacher and that they spar and the teacher gives him an F in the class, just like arbitrary. You're done. It's like, I don't like your attitude. You get an F. And he throws his report in the air. And I guess that's it. Like Brian's done with school now. Although this is where we are introduced to the fact that his great business idea, he wants to franchise A bar concept in every mall in America. It's not like it's never been done before. Has it? Well, I mean. What am I thinking? Like, maybe not just a bar, but like certainly a restaurant bar. Like, there's a Red Robin pretty much everywhere. There are places like that. Your local TGI Fridays. 
right? I guess I was picturing like a bar. Just a straight up bar. Just a bar. Yeah. Which seems like an odd mix for like a shopping mall. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. So school has done its job. It's introduced the concept. Well, he tells Doug, like, maybe I'm just too old to be a student, which I don't know how old he is, but I'm sure he's in his 20s. He is not too old to be a student. As somebody who has been a student on and off throughout her entire life and still has about three terms left to go, you're never too old to be a student. Mm -mm. But Doug tells him a bartender is the aristocrat of the working class. And they get drunk. This is when they sing Chantilly Lace and Doug falls down the stairs and doesn't break a hip or hurt himself or get a concussion, which is kind of amazing. They spend the night at Brian's and in the morning, Doug makes his famous red eye drink. Coughlin's diet. He draws a picture of cocktails and dreams and Brian sees it and says, hey, that's not a bad name for a joint. And they decide they're going to go into business with each other with like a 60-40 split. And then they make a toast to their future. So they are in it to win it. They're ready. They land this job at Cell Block. It's this fancy, sterile, industrial, like three-story place with 10 million people in it and two bartenders. Right. This is when Brian, were you annoyed by this? When he stands on the bar and shouts, you know, he doesn't even have like a bullhorn or anything. I am the world's last barman poet. And he, we're like expected to believe that he spouts off this epic cocktail driven sexy poem, like on the fly. So what inspires this in case you have forgotten from when you saw it is that this really like pretentious dude like goes up the stairs and it's like, I am the world's first yuppie poet. And then he like tells this like, you know, really like spoken wordy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And everybody's like, oh, bravo. You know, so it's like, it's like supposed to be this like avant-garde, like whatever. So then he stands up. I appreciated it because he's kind of making fun of what's going on. I kind of liked it. You liked it? (laughs) All right, whatever. There's no way he came up with something that clever. Some people are good at rhyming. I am not one of them, but me neither. I mean, look at people who have like like rap battles. Like they do it. Like they just come up with it. I couldn't, but good for them. Yeah. So Coral, this woman waiting for a drink, probably for a really, really long time, (laughs) played by Gina Kershawn. Remember her from Showgirls? I saw Showgirls not that long ago. I mean, I saw it back in the day, but I watched it again relatively recently. She's in that movie pretty naked, but. (laughs) She's not naked in this movie, but um, she's super impressed by Tom Cruise takes his picture. I guess she's like a photographer for Rolling Stone. Right. So they go back to her place and they drink and they do it. (laughs) They do. They do. Which I have to say up until this point in the movie, I'm like, come on. Like he's a super good looking bartender. Like he doesn't like go home with any women, of the women. All over him. And like right. he never like he goes home with, with her. He goes home with Coral. Yep. Yes, he does. Like the next day or whatever, Coral's in Brian's apartment with Doug. And Brian thinks they can open a bar for seventy five thousand dollars. And he's Wait, can we talk about her yeah. like being there with them also? Like she looks like they've been dating forever in that scene. I know. And her place is like spectacular. She lives in a brownstone. She has marble everywhere. It's like beautiful. And then they go back to like his little janky apartment, like above. Like I was like, how much time has passed? Are they been dating a long time? I don't think so because. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Brian tells Doug, let's open this bar. We can make a lot of money really quick. If we go to Jamaica and we bartend, we'll make a lot of money. We'll do it for like two or three seasons. 
Doug doesn't seem very convinced. So he prefers more instant gratification than that. Sure. He He's like, I don't want to wait that long. I want to get this show on the road. Later, we're at the basketball court and Doug and Brian are shoot, shooting some hoops. And Doug warns Brian about Coral. He's like, she's going to do a number on you. And I bet you 50 bucks she's going to sleep with someone else before the week is over. This is the first bet between Doug and Brian. There are okay. many more to about come. About a woman. About a woman. So that week, Coral comes into cell block and she kisses Doug all sexy-like. And she's just watching Brian while she kisses Doug. And we find out Doug is not a friend. He seduced her to win his money back. And basically, Coral tells him that she did it because he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Right. Like, I just kind of was like, this is okay. This is dumb. Brian gets so pissed, he punches Doug at work and then he quits. And so this is the reason then Brian decides to go to Jamaica. And then this is when Kokomo plays. Right. Which somehow, like in my brain, everything that we just explained was like a 10 minute intro to Jamaica. But it's not. It's like a big chunk of the movie. <laughs> it is a big chunk of the movie. Say what you will. I'm a Beach Boys fan. My stepdad loves the Beach Boys. And I've listened to the Beach Boys for a lot of my life, like the old stuff. Still, I like this song. It's a bop. It's a jam. I like oh, it. yeah. It's a good song. It's not like old school Beach Boys, but right. I dig it. And the song was actually written for this movie specifically. And it topped the charts in the US, Australia, and Japan. And it was nominated for a Grammy and a Golden Globe. So, I mean, the song really? did really well. Yeah, it did well. <laughs> I mean, People liked it. Let's say that the song is probably the highlight of the film. <laughs> it might actually be. It's interesting. Do you know that in my head, every time somebody says Beach Boys, I have to like run through this minor argument in my brain about like Beach Boys, Pet Shop Boys, Beach Boys, oh, Pet Shop no. Boys. Very, very different. Really different. But like, I know several people who are screaming at the pod right <laughs> no, now. No, no. They are screaming at you. I'm sorry. Let me clarify something. It's not like I listen to the music and I'm trying to decide if that's the Beach Boys or the Pet Shop okay. Boys. It's more that like when somebody says the Beach Boys, brief moment of confusion in my brain. But I want to tell you, I think I understand the brief moment of confusion in your brain because the Beach Boys put out a wildly successful album called Pet Sounds. You know what? You're right. So Pet Shop Boys. I feel vindicated. Beach Boys. Beach Boys pet sounds because musically they couldn't be more different. No, and it's I'm not confused when I hear a song, whether it's <laughs> Pet Shop Boys or the Beach Boys. Okay, so now we see Brian and he's like tan and he's a sexy bar stud now in Jamaica, wearing right. like the flowy shirts with the patterns. Which honestly just seems like a way better life. <laughs> Doesn't it than the hustle and bustle of New York? Now right. you're on an island. And maybe I just feel that way because it's winter. Yeah. So this is when we meet Jordan for the first time. She runs up to the bar and she asks for a phone because her friend is passed out on the beach. Don't yes. worry, be happy, plays while her friend <laughs> is passed out from too it's much all good. dance on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. And what does he say about champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out, something like that? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't know. So the next day, we see beautiful Jordan again in her very chic black one piece. I appreciated that she was wearing a one piece. Like as a woman, I was like, 
Yes. Here's Kelly Lynch, who we see later wearing dental floss. <laughs> right. Literally like black dental floss. Yeah, That's seriously. And then Jordan is wearing just like a sensible black tank with like a cute flowy skirt or like breezy yeah. pants. And she's, you know, ready for some casual island vacation. I did not research this, but I was so curious about that choice because it's very uncommon to see a female lead in a one-piece swimsuit. Katie, she is a woman of substance. Was that like her agreement? Like she didn't want to be in a bikini or like... Perhaps, but I felt like it was a costume choice that was supposed to reflect. This is a woman of substance. She's covering her body. She's modest in this way. And she's not like the other girls. I think that's what they were trying to say. Distinguish her. Yeah, Yeah, which is kind of crazy because look, body positivity, man, you can wear whatever you want to wear and still be a woman of substance. I'm sure Kelly Lynch. Apparently she was a character of substance and we just never got to find out. So she orders a beer and Brian does a little flair bartending to impress her. And did you catch this? Who was in the background at the bar? I don't know. Freaking Jim Walsh of 90210. What? He's in the background in that scene. I didn't see him at all. They panned him. I'm like, Jim, what are you doing here? Because Elizabeth's brother, Andrew Shue, is in Melrose Place. Oh, Jim Walsh was there. I didn't see Cindy Walsh. I didn't see the Walsh twins, but but Jim was there on vacation in Jamaica. (laughs) Sounds like a scandal to me. We then see, oh my God, Doug is here. He shows up with his shirt open to his navel and he cozies up to Jordan, which I didn't like that he cozied right on up to her. You know, so this was something that I didn't, I don't think that I grasped when I was younger watching this movie about like what a sleaze he's being to her and that her reaction is really lovely. Like, cause she's right. just like, oh my God, like, like give me stop a break. Like, uh, talking. Uh, and I love it because I think any woman ever who's been in a bar has had to deal with that guy where you're just like, I don't want to talk to you. I really don't want you to be in my space like this. Right. It's not even like he just sat beside her and he's trying to engage her in conversation and she's not interested. Like he's literally slithered up to her. Now keep in mind, this is a man who's newly married and he just slithers right right up to her and he's like, you want to see a grown man cry? He's just too smooth and I don't like it. He's too familiar. Way too comfortable, too familiar. And we learn it's been two years since he's seen Brian. So a lot of time has passed. Brian's been down in Jamaica for a long time. Brian just cannot even believe that he's there. And this is when we find out Doug's married now to like that super tan, super blonde heiress named Carrie, Kelly Lynch, who's wearing that really teeny, teeny, tiny, fringy bikini. And he tells Brian, it's true love with a kicker. She's got millions. Well, then it must be love. He's a gem. I mean, that night, the four of them go out sort of on a double date. They're drinking and dancing. And Carrie, she's got some eyes for Brian. She keeps looking at him. I mean... He's cute. He's right. And like more age appropriate. Oh, for sure. So this is the fun part. I really enjoyed this part of the movie where- Is it the montage? 
Yes. I love a montage in a film where two people are falling in love and you see them like on this whole great vacation romance. Like we're kissing on the beach, we're wrestling in the water, we're horseback riding, we're exploring the town. Somebody puts on a funny hat or funny glasses. Like there's always that moment, right? I love it. Yeah. I don't know that that's how it works, but I've never had a vacation romance, but like in my mind, that's how it works. And like really great music plays and it's amazing. This is what I think. Most of my memories of this film center around <laughs> like, this montage like that <laughs> like, two minutes of the film it like impacted my life profoundly it's particularly the part where they're in the water and she like kind of like drop kicks him sort of you know <laughs> and, like, they're kind of wrestling in the water yeah and in my little 12 year old mind I was like this is what it's like to fall in love. This like, is love. This is how it works this is exactly what it's gonna look like and this is how I'm gonna know that I'm in love I stopped and I thought about this. I was like, have I ever gone on a tropical vacation at all? No. Oh, well, that's sad. Must rectify that as soon as it's safe to do so. I've never had a vacation romance, but uh, one of our mutual friends in high school had a crush on a boy. And (gasps) I mean, she really liked him. She liked him for a really long time, actually. And she went to Hawaii. And who should she run into in Hawaii of all places? But her crush. crush he was there he and was like there their paths crossed and okay they didn't like have an amazing vacation romance but the fact that he was there at all and they bumped into each other we were so one million percent sure they were gonna end up married looks <laughs> like right we were like it's oh meant my to be God, it's magic <laughs> cupid right? at work i mean that is magical i think that i would be like He's my soulmate. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I think that she kind of was. And I think we kind of all agreed. Like, that was indisputable. Yeah. It's not just a rando you go to high school with or, like, that one person you met that one time. Right. This was, like, her crush. Yeah. That's it was, amazing. It was amazing. Like, not only did she get to go to Hawaii, but she got to see her crush while she In was there. Hawaii. I mean, come on. I mean, they didn't end up together, whatever. But like we thought at the time, amazing. Yeah. I don't think I've ever, I've never had like a vacation romance. I was with someone. We were traveling together and she had a vacation romance. So I sort of had a vacation romance. Were you in a romantic destination? We were in Italy. See, yeah, that's a romantic destination. Right. And like, so it was sort of once removed. Like I just, I, I was like the best friend in that movie. Um, <laughs> you were the supporting character. So, but it is really a great story. She actually went on to write a one woman show about it where I got written out, but that's okay. I'm not <laughs> You got cut by the executives from Disney. I had this great backstory, just like Kelly Lynch's character. <laughs> and I got cut, but that's fine. <laughs> it meant you were the funny one. Like I the was, funny I'm one so is nice. always the supporting character, right? Right. I was the funny one in that story. It's great. Yeah. So (laughs) so some people have vacation romances, just Just, not me. And just not me. So there's this great scene where she draws him like Jack Dawson. He could never, you know, I was thinking about the Titanic scene where it's all sexy. Draw me like one of your French girls, Jack. Exactly. So her drawing of him was not so special, though. I didn't really like it. No, it really wasn't very good. good. It wasn't very good. (laughs) For someone who we find out later is an artist. Right. I was like, really? Yeah. I just want to say that this movie shaped my expectations of what love was. And now I... (laughs) And that's why we're giving it the big middle finger right now. (laughs) I feel like it explains so much. (laughs) 
This is where we learn that Art is her passion and she's a waitress in New York. And we see them at an outdoor bar. And this is where Brian goes on and waxes poetic about being surrounded by million dollar ideas. It's like the drink umbrella and the flugel binder, the little oh, thing right. at on the, the end, end of, of the shoelace, shoelace, which is actually called an aglet in case you were interested. I feel like oddly I know that. And I think I probably looked it up because of this movie. Yeah, it's called an uh-huh. aglet. An aglet. So she tells him his flugel binder is out there waiting to be discovered. So this is where they're in the water at a waterfall making out and she takes off her bathing suit. And it's actually, in truth, the scene was very cold. Everyone was super miserable. And Tom Cruise was like the most miserable. I don't know if he was just being a baby about it, but he got really sick. It was like much of the film in the water, the water was just like freezing. It was cold. Yeah. So that scene also, I remember being like a little bit scandalized. Well, it was because you see a lot of side boob and under boob and you're just like, whoa. Yeah. But as an adult, I'm watching it and I'm like, it seemed plausible that she threw her swimsuit like up on a rock, Mm -hmm. but he literally just like throws his off to the side. And I'm like, are they not concerned? About how they're going to get out of here. Okay. So it shows them having sex. And I'm thinking, are they on the beach? They're not indoors. They're by a fire. I think they were outside. Oh, yeah. I mean, why not? Well, I don't know. Because you're outside in public. And also... Sand. (laughs) I was thinking more UTI. Also Especially when she was in the water. Like... You're in the midwife. You're the woman's nurse health practitioner. (laughs) You can speak to this far better than I can, but I don't know. I had concerns for her. For her urinary health. I did. (laughs) I had concerns for her urinary health. I don't know. Like, I feel like that's always a scene in movies, right? Like people are like rolling around on the beach having sex. And I'm just like, you do not want sand in your lady parts. Like you just don't. No. In fact, just thinking about it right now is making me very uncomfortable. (laughs) I mean, we know they weren't using protection. We find that out later. We do find that out later. Mm -hmm. There was not safe sex happening. No. Not only was she not concerned about pregnancy, she wasn't even concerned about her own sexual health, which was disappointing, Jordan. I thought you were smart. Right. Because wouldn't you be like, oh, like he's a bartender at this tropical island resort. Like maybe they were drinking too much Red Stripe. That night, Brian's at work at the bar and Doug comes over to impart his wisdom again, Iral. And he's just doing that general like Brian bashing thing that he does to the audience, to all the people in the bar. It just bugs. Right. And it's clear. Doug is a narcissist. He is. Like he just thinks everything he says is so brilliant and that he has all the answers to questions that I'm sorry, no one is asking. And like all narcissists, what's really below all that is a very insecure little boy. He tells Brian, basically, like, you need a sugar mama and bets him again, 50 bucks. Here we go. He can't get, quote, over bar to the rich woman. And so Brian takes that bet because he can't lose to Doug. So he flirts, he scores, he leaves with the rich woman. Her name is Bonnie, by the way. Bedelia? No, it's not Bonnie Bedelia from (laughs) Die Hard. Jordan sees them leave the bar. She's so sad. She sits on the beach and cries, but she looks really cute when she's doing it. She does. Are you a cute crier, Lori? No, Kitty. I'm like Dawson from Dawson's Creek meme. Yeah. Kim K from the meme. I'm such an ugly crier. Like Katie, you guys, Katie is Carrie Underwood cry pretty. (laughs) She's the prettiest crier I've ever seen. 
me, my nose gets three times bigger. My eyes swell shut. I look like shit for four (laughs) days. Really, if I've cried, it's all over my face for days. I can't hide it. I can't just dab the corner of my eye with a folded (laughs) up napkin and keep my eye makeup intact and go back out, you know, into the world and act like everything's okay. Like it's bad. Yeah. I have actually on multiple occasions burst into tears in various situations and then had the person (laughs) be like, I'm really sorry to tell you this in this moment, but you look so beautiful when you cry. And I'm just like, shut up. (laughs) I've never one time had someone tell me I look pretty when I cry. And then I think. (laughs) Because I don't. It's lucky too, because I cry a lot. (sighs) I cry a lot too. So the next morning, Brian wakes up with his sugar mama, Bonnie, and mm, he's got some regrets and he should. And so he goes and he races off in his white pants and his pattern blouse and he runs to Jordan's and her friends tell him, oh no, she's gone. She went home last night. She took the first plane out. Which I have to say in this moment as an adult, I didn't catch this when I was young, but I was like, good for her. Like you gotta have respect. Mm -mm. She's on vacation. She's going to let this jerk ruin her whole vacation. They've been together, what, two days? Come on. Like Nuh-uh. what I appreciate in it is that she's just like, nope, I'm done. You did me wrong and I'm out of here. Okay. I appreciate that too. But why should her vacation have to get ripped out right from under her? Well, I would feel worse for her if like she wasn't super rich and she couldn't go to Jamaica anytime she wanted to. Okay. She has washed her hands of that man. Yeah. And you know, Brian's like, oh my God, she's gone. But then sugar mama Bonnie comes by for more of Brian's good loving and he gives it to her. So the moment he like takes Doug's bet and then goes after this woman, I'm like, Okay, I'm done. It's weird because it's been two years. How is he so manipulated by him after two years away from him? He's there for a day and he just falls right back into that. Maybe this was better developed in the original script. But here you're just like, okay, you're an asshole. Like you like went and you had this really sweet girl and you guys had all this fun and you just throw it away because like somebody double dog dared you like come and it on. was for 50 bucks Katie it wasn't <laughs> even like Jordan wasn't even worth $50 to him right next we see Brian on the boat or yacht with Doug and his wife and this is where Carrie is wearing the smallest bikini known to man i right. she's practically naked and Doug tells Brian that he's opening a bar in Manhattan backed by his father-in-law and he wants to hire him as the head bartender. And Brian sleeping with sugar mama Bonnie for like a hot second. He's like, no, I don't need that job. I'm good. I'm going back with sugar mama and she's going to score me some important job in her company. Like already he's moving back with her, moving in with her, going to get a job because of her. Right. Like they were together, what, like one night? Yeah. Well, clearly he moves fast. So sure. Doug bets him again, third bet, you guys, $500 bottle of brandy that he'll be working for him come St. Patrick's Day. Now we're back in New York and Brian is miserable as Bonnie's boy toy. He has to like fetch her carrot juice and be her little Ken doll. And he wants that job, you know, in sales as, as a manager position. Now keep in mind, he couldn't get a job. On his own. He didn't right. have he the has no experience. He dropped out of his college classes. Right. But like, I want a sales manager position and Bonnie's going to give it to me. And Bonnie's like, oh, hush you, sweet angel. Just wait a little bit longer. 
and right. he doesn't like it. So. And like, I'm sorry, I don't feel bad for him. Oh God, me neither. Oh well, that's what you get. You could have been with Jordan, but you picked this person. Exactly. Brian's on the streets in New York, and he passes by Jerry's Deli, and he looks in, and he sees Jordan. And right now, Katie, it's just enough to know that she's there. That's right. enough. So this is when Brian escorts Bonnie to a gallery and he's in a mood and she's schmoozing and he's holding her coat and he drinks a lot. He gets testy with the artist and they get into a fight and Brian knocks over the artist's sculpture. And And I mean, he's just kind of being a jerk because like, okay, so you don't like his artwork. Like you don't have to be an asshole. No, what he didn't like was that he didn't get the sales manager position when he wanted it. And he doesn't like being Bonnie's boy toy. But, like, he's just throwing a temper tantrum. That's exactly what he's doing. Outside the gallery, he tells her, I'm moving out. She, like, slaps him. He goes to charge at her. I was like, oh, really? No? Right. Also, did you notice that he either has on cowboy boots or shoes with heels, which, you know, he's a little on the shorter side for a leading man. Uh And so it's possible that they just had him in shoes that had kind of a heel on them or they were cowboy boots. I couldn't Mm -hmm. really tell, but I was like, interesting. I didn't notice. Sometime later, he goes to Jerry's Deli again. And Jordan's like, what are you doing here? She's not happy to see him. And he's like, I'm not leaving until you let me apologize. And the impression I got was that he thought, no, 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 it's going to be okay as long as I say I'm sorry. Just let me do the thing I came here to do, and then I'll leave. Like, she doesn't owe you that. No, not at all. And, like, also, now you're making your apology all about you. So she gets mad, and she dumps all the specials on him, which I appreciated. Meatloaf, Chicken a la King. She little ketchup, ketchup on there. Mm-hmm. Now nice I want fries. <laughs> now I want fries. Then we see him outside of work waiting for her. He's obviously gone home and cleaned up and came back. You know what? That's what he should have done to begin with. There was right, no reason to go into work. Done. Wait till she's done with work if you must talk to her. Right. And he wants to explain. She doesn't really want to talk to him. He ends up walking home with her, whatever. And she lets him in the apartment, which I was like, shouldn't have done that, Jordan. And he's impressed by her art. This is the first clue Jordan has some serious dollars because- Right, because that apartment. (laughs) Okay, it might be a studio, yes, but it is a giant-ass studio. In in New New York. York. And she's a waitress. And she's a waitress. Like, how are you affording this, Jordan? She didn't have a roommate. Right. She had a lot of art supplies. Exactly. Like, we should have known. She tells him that she saw him leave with the sugar mama, and he tries to defend himself. This killed me by telling her, well, it, it was a bet. Uh... Oh, that makes it so much better. How much was the bet for? Oh, the bet was for $50. And and he tells her, you were pushing me, coming on too strong, too fast. I got spooked. Now I know I can handle it. Like he blames her for him treating her like crap. Oh, I'm sorry. What was Jordan ever demanding from you? Fidelity? It seemed like you guys were falling in love. Okay, maybe you never had the conversation, but that's what it kind of seemed like, no? So I am a big believer in the fact that you should have never assumed fidelity (laughs) until you've confirmed it. I've had this conversation with many a friends. (laughs) He was totally right there with her until Doug bet him about. exactly. Yeah, so that's why it's so bothersome that he's like, you were pushing me. And this is where she tells him, I bet I can spook you. I'm pregnant. 
And then he says, why'd you even tell me if you didn't want me around? Oh, and this is a good line. This is like possibly the only good line in the the whole thing. She says, because I knew it would be the best way to get you out of my life. Harsh and true. He leaves. He comes by her place later and he wants to talk to her. And the neighbor tells him, oh, well, she's not here. She's at her parents' place. And the neighbor's like, Park Avenue. I'm like, I would kill my neighbor. My neighbor's just giving out location and identifying information to strangers. He could have been a stalker. That neighbor doesn't know him from anybody. Right. He learns that, oh, her family has big money because he goes to visit and they live in the penthouse. On Park Avenue. On Park Avenue. So Richard Mooney, who is Jordan's dad, says, yep, he can come up. I want to talk to him. And he tells Brian, you've got nerve coming here. And this is when the dad offers him $10,000 to stay away from Jordan. But Katie, he doesn't want the money. He's evolved, see? For once. 50 bucks. He would take 50 bucks. (laughs) But sure. I'm not out for 10 grand. He has ethics and morals. He's not taking $10,000 for her. Exactly. He's had a change. Something in him has shifted. And this is when Jordan comes in. So he shows her the check. You know, he's like really indignant and he tears it up in front of her face. And it's that whole like goosebumps walk away moment where he says the thing and then he walks away and you're all like, oh, you're supposed to have feelings about it. And he's like, and as for how I feel about you, I guess you'll never know. He walks away. Brian at this point decides I have to pay off my $500 brandy bet to Doug. And so we see him like make his way into hysteria. This is Doug's joint, right? Doug owns this place. Okay. And he tells him he needs a job. And Doug tells him, let's take the brandy to the boat to enjoy it. And this is where we learn the truth about Doug. Doug tells him all of this is an illusion. My ship is going down. I guess he put all of his money into commodities or something. I don't know. He didn't know how to run a business. Buying on the margin which I learned about in that economics, economics class, class <laughs> that one economics <laughs> class I took. <laughs> See, it was all worth it in the end. Right. So he's been pissing it all away and yeah, Doug drinks a lot and he says, don't tell Carrie. She doesn't know. So this is when she comes in and she's like, Doug, I want to go home. But he passes out, so Brian takes her home, and there she tries to seduce him. And, you know, they kiss kind of for a while before he starts. Right, like, he doesn't, like, push away. Like, he, I just, I'm like, Brian, you're not that invested in winning Jordan back. You're here to kiss Carrie for a little while and then tell her to stop. It's your best friend's wife. He tells Carrie, I can't make it with my best friend's old lady. (laughs) That was his life. She's like, honestly, in that movie, how old do you think she was? 30? She was like his age. She was, yeah. I mean, maybe 30. she's a little older than him. But I mean, the problem that I had with this movie is there's just, there's really no character that I'm really invested in and rooting for. Maybe for a time I'm rooting for Jordan, but honestly, I don't really want her to end up with Brian. No, I'll be honest. I don't. You, you and your baby would be better off stay at your dad's. <laughs> Exactly. Well, not that her dad is necessarily There's a park right across the street. You're good. (laughs) There's just no one to root for in this. I think that is the problem. Yeah. I'm not rooting for their love story. I'm not rooting for him. I feel like there's a book about writing called like 
save the cat or something. And I think that the point is that like, you have to have somebody to root for, right? Like you can't tell a story where there's nobody that you're rooting for. Yeah. I will tell you firsthand that I am the first person to always root for the wrong person in rom-coms that are like set up in a love triangle. I bet you in my best friend's wedding, you are rooting for Julia Roberts. I was. Oh my God. Okay. I didn't like that movie because I found her character deplorable. No, I wanted her to win. I was annoyed by Cameron Diaz. (laughs) Cameron Diaz was an angel on earth. She was so sweet. She never hurt anybody. She did not deserve this from Julia That's why it was annoying. I like the real gritty people. This is why I didn't like that movie. Literally, case in point. Well, then you should have loved this movie because it's... it's... No, but in here, there's no one to root for, right? The only thing I'm rooting for is for Jordan to be like, yeah, go away. Hmm. So Carrie's like mad that he won't make it with her. And I think she's just honestly mad that he called her an old lady. But and just that her life kind of sucks. Yeah. Money can't buy happiness, Katie. Nope. I mean, it helps. Okay. <laughs> no, I think they've done research on this and and up to a certain point, and yes, it's not up to a, a certain lot. dollar amount. Like, yes, your life does get easier mm-hmm. and better with more money. And then at a certain, like, fairly low dollar amount. I feel like it was like, I'm totally wrong. I'm just, I feel like it was like 177000 or something. I, for some reason, 77000 sticks in my head somewhere. Yeah. So, like, maybe it's 177000 Yeah. It was but something like, like that. Beyond that point? It doesn't make you happier. It doesn't get any better. So I, I'm like, willing to test that out, by the by. Right. If anyone would like to help me study that. <laughs> I am excited. We can conduct our own survey. (laughs) So the next morning, Brian goes back to Doug's boat to check on him, and oh, there's blood everywhere. And which he like puts his hands in, like like he's confused about what's going on. When I saw this when I was twelve, I thought someone came in and murdered him because of like a bad right, like it was like a mobster or something. Yeah, like like, I thought it was something gone wrong because I thought, what did he do? He broke the bottle and then he slit his wrists. What did he do? Do they show us? For there to be that much blood? I guess I assumed that he shot himself and like fell on the bottle or something. (laughs) Um, Oh, because I just saw the broken bottle and I was like, well, clearly he used that to cut himself. (laughs) I don't know why I thought that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So we see like the burial and then back at the apartment sometime later, Ryan gets a letter that Carrie had sent to him that Doug had written. And it was just basically like a suicide letter. And that's when he cries. He's kind of an ugly crier. So he goes back to the Mooney apartment and the doorman gets super aggro with him. Like it, it, it turns into like a brawl. He jumps in the elevator at the apartment. He tells Jordan Doug is dead and he doesn't want to make the same mistakes as him by being too proud. And he tells her he has money and a plan and damn it, he's going to make it. This is when her dad calls him a loser. Doorman pulls him out. Jordan gives the famous, Daddy, I'm going. I love him. There's always that. Right. And you're like, why? Why Why do you love him? Explain. Then they tackle her. What? Oh, I missed that part. They tackle her and he's like, get off of her. She's pregnant. And then she runs to Brian and they hug. And Brian says to the dad as they're in the elevator to go down didn't have to be this way, you know? And the dad's like, you're on your own. And he's like, it's the only way I want it. What do the kids say these days? Cringe. Yeah, it was so cringe. (laughs) So we're now back at Pat's Place Tavern and we see a toast to the bride and groom. And they have now gotten married. 
They dance. And this is when Jordan says, you're probably going to want to divorce me. I'm going to get all fat and ugly because, you know, Katie, pregnancy is all fat and ugly. Right. Yeah. That scene was very uncomfortable for me. I'm like, what is going on here? This is very- What is the most uncomfortable is what he says next. Just as long as you don't get too fat. Right. And she's like, I'm going to get very fat and you're going to love it. Yeah. It's just the whole scene. No. Like one, it's very fat phobic. Two, it's not body positive about pregnant people at all. She's pregnant with your child. (laughs) Right. You better hope that her body grows. I mean, it it definitely didn't score any points with the midwife on that one. (laughs) And then however long later, we see Flanagan's cocktails and dreams. So my question was, is this Pat's place like read? done to be no this is his bar his own this is his own okay this is his place so in the like six months it took for her belly to grow right he did all this stuff apparently right okay so roger ebert had something to say about this it shouldn't have ended with the scene in the bar but then this is the kind of movie that uses cruz's materialism as a target all through the story and then rewards him for it in the end He's not wrong. And this is when we see Brian in his bolo tie and vest get up and give another famous poem. Flanagan's advice to his unborn child. And okay, great. Now he's like the guy that's become like Doug with all the advice, right? Right. This is where we see a very pregnant Jordan. And Jordan says to him, I bet I can spook you. And then she says, "Twins." twins. And I'm like, okay, you find out you're pregnant with twins, like at your first OB appointment. Sometimes, sometimes people have a surprise twin. Okay. Do they have a surprise twin at 39 weeks pregnant? Cause that's how pregnant she looked. I know midwives who sometimes just the way that. Are you serious? I know midwives. It's very rare in this day and age, but where there's literally a surprise baby, it just, it happens that. Because of the way, wow. you know, if when they're doing the ultrasound, it's positioned in such a way that one of the babies is hidden. It's rare, but it does happen. So I mean, I had so, no idea. I was like, this is not plausible. Like anything in the movie is plausible, but I'm like, right. this wouldn't like happen this. this way. <laughs> Tell me midwife. I mean, it's unlikely. I think it would be more likely that she knew she was having twins and she kept it a secret because she knew it would spook him. So oh yeah. Let's she... just surprise him on the delivery day. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, you thought you were getting one. Now there's two. I remember watching this movie and loving that moment. Like just I thinking it was so clever and like, ah, ha, 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 ha. and like, I was watching it and I was just like, this is terrible. Well, clearly this movie was written for 12 year old girls because we saw this in the theater and I remember walking out and being like smiling ear to ear. That was such like a heartwarming, wonderful moment that she said twins. Like, I'm so happy for them. What a great love story. Like going to live happily ever after. Like no wonder I have a bad love life now. I was like, oh shit, now she's got two with this guy. Like he's going to spook over the dumbest thing. Like baby that doesn't sleep through the night, colic, any number of things. He's just going to be like, I can't, I'm out. Because parenthood is hard. Parenthood times two. Right. 
This one was a bummer. It really, it was not good. I mean, okay, I will say this. It was entertaining enough. It's fluffy. If you're not having to like take notes for the podcast, to, like <laughs> right. stretch it out, it's probably a fine enough watch. I don't think that I would have kept watching, honestly. Mm. I think like if I wasn't, if I wasn't watching it for the pod, the I would have- things we do for you guys, man. Really, it was a sacrifice. I texted one of our mutual friends a gif of Tom Cruise and I said, oh, I'm about to record a pod. And she's like, oh my God, cocktail. I love that movie. Movie and I'm like, actually, you really don't. Like, you think you do? <laughs> you only think you love that movie. <laughs> you don't love that movie. <sighs> well, may your winter staycation be better than this one. So thank you for joining us. If you can't wait to hear more, we, we, we promise better content next week. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And because we are still new in this space, if you'd leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, it would mean everything. You can find us on the web at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at theuntitledgenxpodcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye.